0: this evening In one verse, it's Matthew 5 verse 4 which says blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted many of us know personally what it's like to stand at the graveside of someone we have loved we know that feeling, that, that heartache that gut wrenching Pain and sorrow as we see a loved one lowered into the ground or indeed eh, go behind the curtain at the crematorium. If you've not experienced that, if you're too young, it's coming. And I can tell you that it's sore. It is painful. Even just mentioning it now for some of you will be really difficult as you, as you choke up or maybe choke back some of those feelings as you remember that day and that loved one. Now let me ask you a question. When was the last time that was how you felt about your sin? When was the last time you felt that gut-wrenching agony as you thought about how you had turned away from God, of how you had disobeyed His words? When was the last time you felt like that? Let's make it a bit more personal. Have you ever felt like that? Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, at first reading, it seems odd. You see, that word blessed is a word about position. Someone who is blessed is living under God's smile. Someone who is blessed... Is living under God's favor. Jesus is saying that the best life is the blessed life. Someone who is following Him. And the best life, Jesus says, for Christians, for His followers, is to be in mourning. Now, again, it doesn't seem to make much sense. You know, Christians are thought to be miserable enough as it is. What is He talking about? Now, please don't misunderstand. Our Lord Jesus is not saying that if we experience a death in the family, say, then we automatically experience God's blessing. There's no biblical promise of blessedness when death strikes. Yes, God will comfort those who mourn, his followers, his people. And only true followers of the Lord Jesus can know the promise and hope. And comfort in the face of death that the Lord Jesus gives. But the mourning that is being referred to here. Is that mourning over sin. It's that sorrow over that shame and guilt. that pain that sin causes in our lives. And Jesus promises. To, of, of his followers that if we mourn over sin. Then we will be comforted. And Tonight. I just want to tell you, I just want to show you two distinctives of people who are following Jesus, who are mourning over their sin. And I want to show you how Jesus comforts those of us who are mourning over our sin. So my first point is this. Perhaps the guys at the back could put it on the screen. I I did try and get it to them this week. Yes, mourners see sin as Jesus sees it. Mourners see sin as Jesus sees it in case this is your first time here at Charlotte Chapel if a, if a friend has brought you along I want to make it really clear how Jesus sees sin Matthew helps us out eh, just a few verses later the one we've read if you look down to verse 21 you see a little headline in your Bible that says murder that's how we say it in Glasgow <laughs> murder and you might be thinking of course I know what Jesus is going to say about murder but let's read You have heard that that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now again, a little further on in verse 27, Jesus speaks about adultery. And again, you might be thinking, well, I I know exactly what Jesus is going to say about adultery. He's going to say, don't do it. But look what he says. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's not just the act of murder that matters to God. It is the heart attitude of hearing people. It's not just an act of adultery that matters to God. It's the heart attitude of lusting after the wrong person, and lusting after a man or a woman. And the Lord Jesus goes on through this Sermon on the Mount to highlight it's the heart attitude he's getting at, whether it's to do with marriage or, or telling the truth. Sin is much more serious And much more ingrained. And much more deadly than we ever think. That's what Jesus is telling us about sin. But by contrast, think about how our society thinks about it. It openly approves of sin. It shrugs off sin as if it doesn't matter at all. God is called the imaginary spirit theory. Blasphemy is used just to get cheap laughs. Almost every movie aimed at teenagers uses sex and love and romance in completely the opposite way to what God has said. Think of The Apprentice, okay, the TV show. It seems that to, to actively get ahead in business, you have to be willing to slit your own granny's throat and then nick money out of her purse. That's what's held up as good business. But sin, Jesus says, is hateful to God. It is a turning against our Creator who daily provides for all our needs. It is doing the opposite of what He wants. It is complete ingratitude and disregard towards a holy God. Thomas Watson, a man who lived 300 years ago, says this. Sin makes people worse than toads or serpents. I don't think that's a compliment. And in his holiness, sin is detestable to God. It causes him much grief. God never just shrugs his shoulders at sin. He never says it doesn't matter. He never thinks, uh, oh, oh, well. He finds it loathsome, ugly, repulsive, sickening, vile. All of us are guilty of it. And Jesus says that our sin makes us deserving of hell. Do you know something? The cross of the Lord Jesus is the greatest proof of how awful our sin is in the sight of God. You see, God himself had to come and deal with it in the person of the Lord Jesus. It was something so awful that God himself had to come and do something about it. We need Jesus to help us see this sin the way he does. Because we'll never see the need for his death. We'll never see the need for our forgiveness unless he helps us to see sin as it really is. Our sin, my sin, should generate that feeling in me of standing at the graveside and seeing my loved one being being dropped in there. And to my shame, it really does. Not anywhere near enough. Well, it's not just that mourners see sin as Jesus sees it. You see, it gets much, much deeper. It's that mourners see that their sin actually grieves Jesus as well. Mourners see that their sin actually grieves Jesus. So often we think, is it that big a deal when I sin? Does it really matter? Is the Lord Jesus really bothered about it? Much later on in the book of Matthew, in chapter 23, the Lord Jesus looks at the people of Jerusalem and he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing. Jesus is cut to the heart over the people of Jerusalem because they have rejected him. They don't want to listen to him. He longs for them. But he looks at their sin and he has broken Now, please, don't misunderstand. As I trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, I know that the end time judgment, I will be safe on that day because Jesus has paid the penalty. But don't think the sins that I still commit, Jesus is is sitting at the right hand of God and he's he's applauding me for it. He's not saying, oh, Dougie, it was just a white lie. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's no bother. He's not saying, oh, do it. You know, it was just a product of your environment. Jesus has saved me to live a holy life. When I give in to temptation, when I, as a teenager, lost my temper when my mum or my dad, when now, as a married man, I, I lose my temper with my wife, when I, when I sin against her and against him, the Lord Jesus is grieved, just as he is when you do it. When my older brother, who used to batter me quite frequently, and I used to plot wicked schemes against him, you know what, often I would wait until he was asleep, And I would do something to him. You know what? That grieved the Lord Jesus. When at school or university or on the internet and we lust after guys or girls, the Lord Jesus is grieved. When I am sexually impure in whatever way, the Lord Jesus is grieved. When I handle the truth poorly, how dressed up is that? When I lie, the Lord Jesus is grieved. When I get involved in bad language or dirty jokes, coarse or unwholesome talk, when I slander someone, when my mouth is used for evil, you know what? The Lord Jesus is grieved. And what grieves Jesus is supposed to grieve his people. I've been saved to live a distinctive holy life. He's rescued me and brought me out of darkness, the Bible says, into his kingdom of light. What should mourning over sin produce in those of us who love Jesus? Well, I think that it will involve some healthy self-examination. Perhaps as I lie in bed tonight, and I think back over the day. I will think, what are the things that I did that I shouldn't have? And what didn't I do that I should have? When I've been speaking to people, maybe I'll think, what did I say that I shouldn't have said? What shouldn't I have said that I did? If we do that any night of our life, we will find that there are things we ought not to have said, that, or ought to have said, or not done that we should have done. And as we realize these things, we will have a sense of grief that we were capable of them. Those things in our lives that grieve the Lord Jesus. There's a distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. (laughs) You see, worldly sorrow says, look at the mess sin has got me into. Godly sorrow says, Lord, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, turning away from those sins, and confession, verbal confession. Mourning over sin will involve me not being happy just to keep on falling at the same fences time and time again. So at home when I lose my temper... I will ask the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. I will confess that yes, I have been sinfully angry. And then, I will go and seek out my wife or my mum or my brother or whoever and ask for their forgiveness. At school, or at college, if I have used my mouth in a way that offends or causes someone to stumble. Yes, I will seek them out. I will ask for their forgiveness. I will ask the Lord Jesus for his forgiveness. I will seek out the person I have bad mouth. I will ask for their apology. When I'm sexually impure, I will confess it to the Lord Jesus. Jesus. I would ask that He would cleanse my mind, that He would help me to love Him more than those images, more than the acts that I've done. If I'm married, I will go and confess it to my spouse and ask for their forgiveness. I will seek out the help and loving discipline of the local church. If I'm not married, if I'm single again, I will confess it before the Lord Jesus. I will ask for His forgiveness and I will seek the help and discipline of the local church i go to a pastor or my youth leader. I will become accountable. I will seek out their help. When I lie, I will confess it to the Lord Jesus. I will seek out the person that I've lied to. I will tell them the truth. I will ask for their forgiveness. When it doesn't even register to me that people I know and love who don't yet love the Lord Jesus themselves and I've missed ten opportunities that day to speak about him I would say Lord Jesus please forgive me please give me another opportunity to speak to them and I will go and do it we don't have time to go over all the most subtle things pride greed worry prayerlessness putting anything in the number one place God God should have in our lives you know ten years ago I went to India, okay, and I'd read and I'd seen on the news slums, and I thought I was prepared for what I was going to see and experience and hear, but then I actually went there, and when you go and you're standing there, and you see that poverty, and you see how people are living there, and you experience the sights and the sounds and the smells, it hits you like a sledgehammer when we experience the depths of our sin there is such reality there there should be such grief that we should be in mourning over them but it shouldn't leave us hopeless and helpless you see it's supposed to drive us to the one place where we can experience real and lasting comfort You see, the third and last of our points tonight is that mourners see that comfort is found only in the Lord Jesus. Now here's a true wonder of God's grace. If we see our sin as Jesus does, and if we're mourning over it, and we turn to him, he gives us a a solid gold, 100% watertight guarantee that we will experience the blessing of his comfort. And I think there's two time frames that he's talking about here when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, there is comfort for those who are broken over sin right now. That's the first time scale. There is comfort for those broken over sin right now. Think of why the Lord Jesus came to this earth. Think of why he went to the cross. At the cross he took upon himself all the sorrow, all the pain, all the ugliness. And hard heartedness. All the punishment my sin deserves. At the cross. As I mourn over my sin. I know the supreme comfort. That the Lord Jesus has been punished in my place. That he faced all the charges against me. Every one of my sins was placed on him. He took them all. And I can know the awesome assurance that my sins will never be held against me personally because Jesus died for them. And three days later, he was raised again to life to prove to me that that slate has been dealt with. That I can experience new Eternal life. A new relationship with the living God. That I don't have to be afraid. That I can be comforted right now. As I trust in him. You know at the cross Jesus binds up hearts. That are broken over sin. There's a story in Matthew 9. About a man who was paralyzed. Paralyzed. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you might know the story. The man's got four friends, Mark says, and they go to a house and it's too crowded and they can't get in to see Jesus. So they go up on the side of the house and they make a hole in the roof and they lower him through the hole. You know that story? Some of you? You yeah, nod your head if you're still with me. Yeah, great, excellent. Some of you are still with me. In Matthew 9 verse 2, Jesus says to the man, "Take heart, your sins are forgiven." An older version of the Bible, the authorised, the King Jimmy's, says this. Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know what, I love that phrase, be of good cheer. I'm going to try and reintroduce it, okay? For Christians, if you're a Christian tonight, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, be of good cheer. Your sins have been forgiven. Something I've found to be true down the years. Is that the more I've learned to mourn over my sins. As I turn again to the Lord Jesus. He comforts me and brings me good cheer. Now I don't know if it produces this effect in everyone. But when I'm of good cheer, I like to sing. And I don't just sing any old stuff. I I, I like to sing the songs that probably I remember as a kid. My grandparents singing to me about the Lord Jesus. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering far away from God, or another one, "My sin, all oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. This the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, I stand forgiven where at the cross. Be of good cheer. I can know comfort right now because Jesus has dealt with my sins. So we can be comforted now. But there's another time scale. because we will experience ultimate comfort one day in the future. While we continue to live in a world tainted by sin, not a day will go by where we don't have a reason to mourn over our sin, Of the sin that we see all around us in the world. But when the Lord Jesus returns and He establishes a new heavens and a new earth, you know what the Bible says? There'll be no need for hankies, for hospitals, or hearses. There'll be no need. And He will wipe away every tear from our eye. And we will have that glorious relationship with Him, a world untainted by sin. Whatsoever, there will be no need for mourning ever again. It will be glorious. Those who mourn over sin now can look forward with confidence to then. This is a Christian hope of being in that place as God's holy people with sins forgiven and no more mourning. But you see, that leads us to a solemn warning. You see, let me tell you what the reverse of this beatitude is. It says, see it up on the screen, Cursed are those who rejoice over sin, for they will never know the comfort of being forgiven. Cursed are those who rejoice over sin, for they will never know the comfort of being forgiven. Just as the Bible promises a day, that those of us who mourn now will rejoice then. Those people who are rejoicing now over sin will mourn on that day. Those who rejoice over sin now will pay the full penalty that their sins deserve. They will face God's judgment. They will end up in a place called hell, which the Bible says is a place of suffering and torment. A place that you can't cross back over from. It is terrible and terrifying. And there will not be a day of comfort there. That's what I deserve. That's what everyone deserves. But the undeserved kindness of the Lord Jesus means that I don't need to go there. And as I trust in him, I won't go there. And I ask you tonight, if you don't consider yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus, as one of his people, can I ask you to think, think hard. Do you have that assurance, that comfort of knowing that on that day you won't be mourning, but you'll be rejoicing? Have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins? And as you trust him, you can have that comfort right now, knowing that that day you will experience ultimate comfort. If you have not started to see sin as Jesus sees it, I would urge you to look again at his death and his resurrection. It's there we see how much God loves sinners. It's there we see how much he wants us to be comforted as we mourn over our sin and we rejoice in Jesus. It seems strange. The only way to be truly happy is To live the best life, to be blessed by God, is to be in mourning over our sin. But that's the only place as you turn to Jesus you will find any lasting comfort. Let me pray.